Well, good morning. All right. Uh, we, of course, have been working through the book of John, but we're going to take a little break today to talk about resurrection because it's Resurrection Sunday. Seems appropriate. Uh, so we're going to talk about resurrection life, and we're going to talk about resurrection life in between. You will understand that more the longer I talk. So we're going to jump in. If you want to follow along, you should have notes in your bulletin. Uh, we'll put verses up here. You should be able to follow along. This is one of those things that is very basic, very easy to, to, to parse, and hard to fully understand and apply in our lives. It takes a lifetime. Kind of like Aaron last week talking about salvation, that we are saved, that we are being saved. Uh, and so this is going to go along with that. So what I want to do is just start with this. The gospel, uh, the most concise presentation of the gospel is probably in the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, this is the gospel that we preach to you. Just two things you need to know. One, Christ died for our sins. Two, he rose again. He says, that's it. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Christ died for our sins. He rose again. Right? There was a doorbell like that when he rose. <laughs> That's how they knew. The angel. When he heard that, he rolled away the stone. It's perfect. You just got to work things in as they come. All right. I want you to note this, because both of those things are critical. Uh, Jesus dying for our sins is what saves us. There is no other way to heaven. Jesus is the door, the only way, because all of us have sinned, and uh, the only way to deal with our sins is through the blood of Jesus. You try any other way, and you have to stand before God with all of your sins and be judged on your own, and the penalty for sin is death, and that's it. So that's critical. But if he never rose from the dead, we just end up with our sins forgiven and no place to go because there's no resurrection. Jesus was the first. And so he rose again, proving that he had power over death, power to save us and to deliver us from death. And so both of these are critical. And I want you to see how these two themes repeat themselves again and again and again as we look at resurrection life in between this morning. We just celebrated communion. Communion, 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that uh, we do this in remembrance of him, right? Until verse 26, where Paul says, do these things in remembrance of him until he comes. And so there's a point where we're not doing this in remembrance of him anymore. What is that point? Well, that is, I believe, the point of fulfillment that Jesus talked about in Luke 22. It's the Last Supper, and he's getting ready to say, do this in remembrance of me. And he says before that, in Luke 22, 16 through 18, he says, I just want you to know, I'm not going to drink this cup or eat this bread until I do it again with you in the kingdom, until this is fulfilled. So we have two parts to communion. We remember, but we also have a fulfillment, a future fulfillment that I believe happens at the marriage supper of the Lamb that we read about in Revelation 19. Why? Because the marriage tradition, and Jeremiah talked about this at the Seder dinner Friday night. 
In the marriage tradition, part of the proposal was offering the bride uh, the cup of wine. And if she drank from it, you were good to go. She's your girl. If she doesn't, you got to look for another woman. <laughs> but traditionally, the groom, she would drink from it saying yes, and the groom would, would withhold uh, because uh, she would go home to her father's house, he'd go prepare a place for her, and then he would come and get her. Does any of that sound familiar? Yes. And then at the wedding feast, when they're ready to consummate the marriage, he would drink the cup. Isn't that interesting? And so there's this duality again that uh, we remember until he comes, and that it is actually the fulfillment when we celebrate communion, possibly for the last time, I don't know, because he doesn't tell us after that, uh, at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Let's talk a little bit more about the wedding supper of the Lamb. We know from Acts 20 that he purchased his bride with his blood, that the bride price for each one of you was the blood of Jesus, right? That speaks of the cross. But we also know from Ephesians 1 that we were sealed by the Holy Spirit until the redemption of the purchased possession. So again, are we married to Jesus? Yes. Have we been, have we been redeemed as in the purchased possession? No. It's that same picture that he hasn't come for the bride yet. And so there is a future. And this speaks of the resurrection that we are at once purchased by his blood and also sealed by his spirit until we're redeemed, and which again, I think speaks of the resurrection. You following me? So these are both going on. In fact, uh, we're told that Jesus, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, he's referred to as the first fruits of all who will be raised from the dead, of all who are asleep in Christ. It's interesting that the feast that immediately follows the day after the, the week-long feast of Passover, uh, the next day is the feast of first fruits. When Jesus, that Sunday, when Jesus rose from the dead, heard the doorbell. And we have the one who is the first fruits of all who will be raised from the dead. So again, we see these two concepts. Uh, still at work, the death of the cross and the resurrection. Jesus is the only one who's gotten his new body so far, near as we can tell. All right? So we know this. We learned in John 11 last week that Jesus is resurrection life. When Mary was wondering what to do with stinky Lazarus, remember? And Jesus said, uh, and she goes, yeah, I know he'll be raised on the last day. And he goes, no, no, I am the resurrection life. I can raise anyone I want, anytime I want to. Uh, it's all in me. And then he did, right? So we know that he is resurrection life. What does that mean? That means two things. It means we get a new spirit and we get a new body. I'm not going to read it, but you could turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And there's a lengthy passage about our new body, and it sounds pretty cool. Because our corrupt body can inherit incorruption, so we get an incorruptible body. Our, our first body uh, was in the likeness of the first Adam, made of dust. It says our second body will be in the likeness of the second Adam, Jesus. So we're going to get a body like Jesus had. All I can tell from Scripture is he could eat food and walk through walls. So it sounds cool. 
Because he, doesn't sound good? You could just come right from the bedroom through the walls into dinner. So it's a very exciting thing. Uh, how many of you are looking forward to your new body? All right. So we have both. We have a new spirit and a new body. And I want to look at two passages that talk about this newness of life. And, and again, we're just going to keep seeing these, this thing paired together. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, love this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now that's happened, right? Has that happened to you? So what became new? Think about it. Because I was working in the attic this week, and I'm feeling it. I got some things that are not new. Right? How about you? Have all things become new? What was Paul talking about? He's talking about our spirit man. Your spirit man is entirely new. Is your flesh new yet? No. Will it be? Yes. Yeah. At the, at the resurrection. But it isn't yet. And so we have this interesting thing going on. Uh, new spirit, not so new flesh. And yet Paul, because he's so focused in on the spirit, says all things become new. That was accomplished at the cross. When Jesus, we read this in John 19, says it is finished. What was finished at the cross? The purchasing of the bride. The ability for us to have a new spirit, to have his laws written on our hearts, right? Well, let's go on. Because we see this exact same language in Revelation 21, which is after uh, the wedding supper of the Lamb, or at least it is chronologically in Revelation, uh, when he says, Then he who sat on the throne, this is Jesus, said, Behold, I make all things new. Exact same language. And he said to me, write, for these are the words of the true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. What's done then? All of it. We're in our new bodies. We're at the wedding supper of the Lamb, or have been. It is all done. So it's this exact same language, but it's the second time. It is done. All things new. And by all things now, he means all things. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. So at this point, we can freely receive all the resurrection life we want in our new resurrected body. Sound good? And that's future. That's in heaven. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So we inherit all things. We are his son. Now, here's the weird thing. Some of that we know is going on now. But it's not fully going on now, is it? We haven't fully inherited all things yet, even though we potentially have all things. And so we live in this weird in-between. And so I want to talk about the in-between this morning. What do we do in the in-between? And here's what I mean by the in-between. Let me ask you a question. I, I, I posed this earlier and got an interesting look, so I, I'll ask you. Jesus died on Friday, rose on Sunday. In-between... Friday and Sunday, was Jesus dead or alive? Yeah. Exactly. He was alive, 
but he was dead. Right? His body was dead, but his spirit was down talking to those who had gone before, taking captivity captive, like Rachel referred to earlier. And then he rose from the dead and he got a new body. So for this in-between, he was a little of both, wasn't he? Which is where we live right now. In between. We are all things new, made alive in our spirit. And yet, uh, you know, you can still tell when you've spent too much time in the attic, right? (laughs) So, in between, we are dying to live. We are experiencing death so that we can live. Great place to see this is in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, where uh, Paul says, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and they're contrary to one another, right? So what happened? You got an all things new, brand new, spiffy spirit stuffed into your old body, and they don't get along. Each of them wants to rule. And so they're in conflict, and there's a war. You guys experienced this war, yes? Okay. And so we know this is going on. This is what Paul was writing about in Romans chapter 6, when he says, Or do you not know that as many as us, of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We join him in death, right? Now, we like that as a baptism, as a one-time thing. It's the ongoing joining of him in death that becomes more challenging. And I think it's both. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So we've got the potential for both going on. We can stay in our death, or we can walk in newness of life. And that's the challenge, isn't it? And then he says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And I highlighted, <clears throat> pardon me, shall be, because this sounds like it's not fully done yet, doesn't it? So we're still working on being in the likeness of his resurrection. And ultimately, we will absolutely be in the likeness of his resurrection. So this is what Paul is basing uh, a little bit later, verses 11 through 12 on, where he says we're to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God and not let sin reign in our bodies. Reckoning means we have to decide because we've got a war going on between our flesh and our spirit. And we have to decide to reckon ourselves to be dead to this and alive to this and not let this reign in our body. Y'all understand that? That's challenging, right? So we understand what's going on. In the in-between, we're dying to ourselves to live for God, to live for the Spirit. And so I want to talk a little bit this morning about how we live in the in-between. There are different priorities in the in-between. We live in in in-between priorities. And the most important is that we need to put the spirit before the body. Now, I want to spend a little time here because that sounds easy. Well, sure, spiritual things are more important than bodily things. And yet, uh, this is one of those things that's easy to understand and really hard to walk out. So let's look at this. Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, you look at verses 7 through 11. 
Paul says, but we have this treasure. What's the treasure? Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, Spirit of glory, the glory of God, uh, resurrection life, any of those things, all of those things. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Earthen vessels are us. We're made of dust, right? So we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power of God I'm sorry, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So it almost sounds like God did this on purpose. Like he put something really cool in something really mundane, like an earthen vessel, so that everyone would be able to tell it's not the vessel, it's the glory. It's almost like what uh, God told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, just a little later, uh, Paul might be remembering this uh, while he's writing this letter to the Corinthians. Remember, Paul had what he called a thorn in his flesh, and it looks like it was some sort of infirmity. And he said, God, he, three times, God, could you take this away? And God goes, mm, no. Uh, he says, you know what I'm liking, Paul? I'm liking that this glorifies me. He goes, I'm going to give you grace to walk in this. My grace is sufficient for you. Why? For my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is being demonstrated, Paul, in your weakness. And Paul goes, awesome. I will therefore most gladly glory in my infirmities so that the power of Christ may rest on me. So Paul got it. And I think that's what he's talking about here. That uh, he had treasure in an earthen vessel. And then God wasn't necessarily worried that much about fixing the vessel. He was more worried about displaying the treasure. Something to think about. So, Paul goes on, he says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So that just describes your life, right? Anyone? Maybe, maybe not. Describes Paul's life. Did you catch what's going on there? He's saying, I am experiencing death in my body, but life in my spirit. And I think that's part of the choice that goes on. Uh, I think what God is saying is, through this passage to us, is it's really easy for us to get hung up on looking good or trying to look good as a Christian. You should look good. Even maybe dressed a little better today. And that's okay if you did or didn't. You know, God likes you no matter what you wear. But the point is we can get worrying about the vessel more than the treasure. We can, get, we can go, well, this is an awesome treasure, and look at the vessel it's in. Maybe I could spiffy up this vessel a little bit, right? And God goes, no, really, it's, there's nothing you can do with that vessel. It's, I'll get you a new one when I come the second time, but right now that vessel's, that's, that's just, that's it, dude. <laughs> right? And so we can get to worry about spiffing up our vessel and get our priorities on our vessel, God heal me, God deliver me, God, all those things. And again, we're praying for healings. We're praying for stuff like that. But we can get so wrapped up in that that we don't see when God's trying to work on revealing his glory and his treasure. 
One of the ways I think this manifests the most is when we get worried about outward appearance over fruit. So we're worried about better vessels, our vessel looking better. And God goes, I'm worried about you bearing fruit. And that comes from your spirit. That's why it's called fruit of the bingo, fruit of the spirit, right? So uh, let me give you an idea what that looks like. What if, let me reread this passage, Tony's translation. Paul says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet we're still bearing the fruit of the spirit. We are perplexed, but we're still bearing the fruit of the spirit. We are persecuted, but we're still bearing the fruit of the spirit. We are struck down but we're still bearing the fruit of the Spirit. We're always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the life of Jesus is manifest in our body through the fruit of the Spirit. We're delivered to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh by the fruit of the Spirit. You get the picture? See what's going on? So sometimes we start thinking, you know, oh, I'm sick or... My boss is yelling at me, or I got in a car accident, or something must be wrong. I must be not doing things right for God. God must be mad at me. Instead of going, I wonder what God's doing in my spirit. I wonder if I can bear the fruit of the spirit in the midst of this difficulty. Because whether it's God, or the devil, or just life, we're going to have difficulties. And the important thing is that we make up our minds that whatever comes... I'm going to try and manifest the glory of God in the midst of my, uh, you know, dusty vessel, right? And so again, we're not worried that much about our bodies, and, and don't take that too far. We're still, we're going to pray for healing today. If you need healing, we're going to pray for that. We're worried that much about your bodies. But we're not worried about our bodies beyond our spirit. It is more important that we prioritize our spirit over our body. Does this make sense? This is one of those things that's hard to talk about because there's so much experience involved in this. And you just kind of have to, you and God kind of have to talk about it throughout your life. Amen? So let's go on to the next one. In between priorities, spirit over body. In between focus, eternal over temporal. Uh, getting focused on eternity. Getting focused on God. Getting focused on what's going on in heaven. Getting focused on our future. Uh, instead of what's going on right now. One of my things I like to do when I'm counseling people sometimes and they're really hung up on something, I go, how big a deal do you think this will be 20,000 years from now? <laughs> and they look at me funny. And I go, you know you're going to be alive 20,000 years from now, right? You think you'll still be hanging on to this thing? You think you'll still be having trouble forgiving this guy? And they usually go, no. I go, well, why not just do it now? Why not have an eternal perspective? You're not carrying this thing into eternity with you. Why don't you put it down now? Right? So an eternal perspective. Paul, again, in his letter to the Colossians, talks about this. If then you were raised with Christ. How many of you were raised with Christ? All right. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What did you die to? Things of the earth, right? They're not supposed to matter as much to us anymore as things of heaven. That's why, that's how I ended up being a high school teacher. I always thought it would be good to teach. I didn't want to be poor. I got saved and I decided, all right, I'll be poor. And then I took a pay cut to be a pastor. <laughs> awesome. Now, you guys take good care of me. It's all good. So, 
Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Then you will also appear with him in glory. So don't worry about this earth now. When Christ comes, that's what we're working towards. We're looking forward to when Christ comes. Then you're going to appear with him in glory. I love what John says about this. In 1 John chapter 3, John says, Beloved, we are right now children of God. But what we're going to become, we don't really know yet. We know it's going to be good because we're going to be like him. When we see him, we will be like him. And so Paul has this, I'm sorry, John has this eternal perspective. I, I know I'm a child of God, but I know there's more. I don't know what it is, but I know when I see him, I'm going to be like him. And then he goes on, he makes this statement that really provokes me. He says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And I go, wow, there's something about focusing on what we're going to be that makes us want to die to this earth and start being it now. Right? And so I go, and John understood something. I'm not sure I fully understand. I mean, I just explained it. I'm not sure I fully understand it. I want to pursue that. I want something like that. I want vision of eternity that makes me purify myself, makes me go, I don't want any of this. I want that. It starts to put things into perspective. Amen? Amen. This is the resurrection life that we're talking about. Now, the last thing I want to look about is the in-between duality, what I'm going to call the in-between duality where life and death are both at work for his glory. How many of you in your life see life and death both at work? The life of God, the resurrection life of God, doing things in you. Um, The continual need for you to die to yourself and decide I'm going to not be offended or I'm going to forgive that person or I'm not going to be angry. I'm going to give up my right to be angry or to have this or to do that, right? So we have life and death going on together. And what Paul, in this prayer, seems to be indicating is that he realized that they go together. They're two sides of a coin. That there's a duality here, and that they are both at work for his glory. Not just resurrection life is glorifying Jesus. Our dying is glorifying Jesus, right? That's what we've been seeing as we go through this. And so Paul prays this interesting prayer it took me years to pray this prayer. I, I was always willing to pray half of it. You'll be able to guess, guess which half. Uh, but I've gotten to where I'm getting an eternal perspective, and I'll pray the whole prayer now because I get what it's going on. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Now, that's usually where I stopped. That was, it's a good prayer to start. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. It's almost as if Paul sees that they work together, that him participating in Christ's sufferings, in allowing his flesh to die, dying to his desires, dying to, again, all those things I talked about. Uh, You know, I die to my right to be offended, I die to my right to be angry at this person, or to be uh, jealous of this person, or to all those things that are in us, 
right? That we die to, to bear fruit of the Spirit, to turn in our war between our flesh and our spirit from our flesh to our spirit, right? We all do that. We all work that all the time, don't we? We never run out. And that was my point when I was talking about being in earthen vessels and trying to clean them up. We're going to have that battle as long as we dwell in earthen vessels with glory in us. They're going to stay at war until we get a new body. So we're going to be continually living in that duality, that in-between, where life and death are both going on in us, but they're both glorifying God as long as we keep moving towards Him. Does this make sense? So here's the question I asked myself from reading that verse. Paul seems to be saying that his attaining to the resurrection from the dead uh, is somewhat conditioned on the fellowship of Christ's sufferings and being conformed to his death. So I asked myself, and this is in your notes, feel free to bother yourself with this question, it bothers me. What if the key to greater resurrection power is more dying? How many of you want, now I probably should have asked this question before I said that. How many of you want more resurrection power in your life? Yeah. What if the key is more dying? Because we all want resurrection power. And we should be. There is a point where when we are, uh, when Christ comes and we see him as he is and we're resurrected, we're in our new bodies, we get all of that. But between, on the in-between, we can still access resurrection power. It can still manifest the resurrection power of God in our bodies. But we also have the death thing going on. And it's like it's a mixed bag. It's this in-between thing. And so uh, I'm bothering myself with that. What if the degree of resurrection power I'm able to walk in has to do with the degree I'm willing to die to my desires and my right to be angry and my, my right to, uh, you know, correct the pastor and stuff like that. Yeah. It's the... <laughs> so what I'm after today is that we understand really this last part, that life and death are both at work for his glory. It's okay. It's okay if you're saying with Paul, I'm hard-pressed, uh, I'm, I'm perplexed, I'm in despair, I'm caring about in my body the dying of Jesus. It's okay. It's okay. God knows you're dust. He knows you're an earthen vessel. It's okay. We just turn our focus to, but what's going on in my spirit? What about the resurrection life that's in me? And we just keep going. And typically those things pass or get better as we do that. And one last thing to think about before we go back into worship. Paul, writing to Timothy, his young protege, says this. He says, Timothy, this is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. How many of you in your eternal perspective, occasionally think about what it's going to be like to reign with Jesus, to be in charge of something directly with Jesus. Maybe you'll get to be, you know, in charge of Palm Bay in the new earth. I don't know. Might even, might even be something better than Palm Bay. I don't know. Maybe it's Holopaw. Who knows? <laughs> if we died with him, we will live with him. If we endure whatever we have to endure, we will reign with him. Makes me think of what Paul said in Romans 8 when he said, I, uh, it is clear to me that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. 
Paul's saying, you know what? And Paul knew a little bit about suffering, right? Paul's saying, I am utterly convinced that whatever I have to suffer, it will not compare to what it, the glory that's, that's coming when I am resurrected with Jesus. In other words, whatever has happened to you will happen to you. Whatever the world does to you, whatever people do to you, I guarantee you when you get to heaven, it'll be worth it. I guarantee you, if you endure, if you just continue to press into your spirit, man, you will say with Paul, totally worth it. Totally worth it. This glory, totally worth it. Amen? And so we have that to look forward to, but we have all of that potential to lay hold of now. We just have to know how to live in the in-between. And in the in-between, we're trying to live on the resurrection life side and die to our body side so that we can experience more and more of his resurrection power. You guys want that? Yes. Amen. All right, let's have the band back up. We're going to go back into worship. We've got plenty of time, half an hour or so, easy. Uh, want to just worship this morning of all days. This is a great day just to worship for no other reason than he is worthy. And we want to sing to him and tell him he is worthy. He, because he purchased us with his blood, is the only one in heaven found worthy to open the seals, to judge earth rightly, to take over ownership of earth, to come and rule the planet from Jerusalem. This is good stuff. And he's worthy of our praise. Amen. Somewhere in here, as I said, uh, actually Cliff on Thursday I had a word that uh, I'm acting on, that uh, not only does God want to save, uh, it's uh, Psalm uh, 103, uh, he forgives all our iniquities, he heals all our diseases. Not only does God want to save, God wants to heal. And that's part of the resurrection life that we have access to. And so at some point here in worship, we'll have the ministry team up, and if you need prayer for healing, we'll pray for you, and God will do stuff. Yes. Right? Amen? All right. Lord, we thank you for resurrection life. We want your resurrection life. We recognize that it cost you your life to give us life. And Lord, that you purchased us and we're yours. And so Lord, we want to be yours now and not just when we get to heaven. Lord, we want resurrection life now and so we're willing to die to ourselves to have it, to take up our cross and to follow you. So Lord, this morning, as we just enter into worship, we're just asking, uh, we're just saying with our worship, you are more important than our lives in this earth. And we want you and we're asking for your presence and your resurrection power to manifest itself in us in fruit and in gifts and more just in the ability to glorify you in the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.